This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, October 27th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride moves to ban single-use plastic, transfer project gets approval and an extension, a Chair 9 status update, and a mountain weather forecast. Come July 2024, single-use plastic in Telluride will be banned. The change comes after over a decade of work to allow local governments to do so. This all started in 1989. The context here was on recycling at that point in time. That's Telluride Town Attorney Kevin Geiger speaking before town council this week. In 1989, the Colorado legislature passed a law banning local governments from banning single-use plastic. And here's the language. No unit of local government shall require or prohibit the use or sale of specific types of plastic materials or products or restrict or mandate containers, packaging or labeling for any consumer products. Last year, the legislature repealed that law with an effective date of 2024. So now the town of Telluride is working to decide what plastics it will ban once it's officially allowed to do so. According to Geiger, he worked with the town's ecology commission to identify priorities for what to ban. Single-use food containers containing plastic, and that would also involve styrofoam containers of any sort. Now, this is for prepared food. So think of um, going to your local grocer and um, having them dispense prepared food to you in a um in a carton or a container. Also plastic straws, single-use water bottles that are less than a gallon. Plastic cutlery. Now what we're thinking of there are the plastic uh, forks and knives that are given out generally with takeout. Sometimes they're available just independently on their own. Those would be prohibited come July 1st, 2024. And then there are a variety of what I would call miscellaneous plastic uh, uh, (laughs) prohibitions. Uh, Toothpicks, excuse me, wrapped in plastic, cotton ear swabs if they're made of plastic, and then single-use condiment packages. So think of your ketchup, your mustard, your mayonnaise that's distributed there, and then the general garnish spears or plastic stirrers of any kind. Geiger notes there are some exceptions for single-use plastic needed for medical uses or single-use plastic water bottles in the case of an emergency or natural disaster. On the whole, council is supportive of the ban, but council member Dan Enright has concerns specifically when it comes to condiments. Businesses could use paper ramekins rather than plastic ones or small packets. It's certainly more staff time for businesses to have somebody to take the time to fill those, and that's probably a daily task. Not to say that that's enough reason to not necessarily do it, but it might be the provision of this that is the least popular. So that, that's the that's the only one I remain slightly on the fence on. Everything else I'm big thumbs up for, but it's it seems the most complicated and most burdensome on businesses to replace with a eco-friendly product. Council member Mian Fee hears his concern, but notes the ban is about a larger cultural shift. I mean, I think this is a this is a lifestyle shift for all of us, yep. right? I mean, I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be some frustrations and there's going to be um, some increased costs. But I think the ultimate point and purpose is that there's a much more significant cost if we don't do this, the planet and our community. So 
In addition to the ban on plastics, Geiger proposes an opt-in program up until the 2024 date requiring customers to specifically request a plastic item rather than getting it by default. Mayor Delaney Young wants to see that opt-in program expand and extend beyond the 2024 date. The intent behind this idea is bigger than just banning the plastic items. It is reducing waste in a larger fashion, whether or not it's plastic. It could be a paper napkin. We still don't want you giving somebody one. So the opt-in provision is something that I believe the Ecology Commission would like to see carry forward forever and that people actually have to say, do you have any to-go silverware and a napkin that I could have? Telluride Town Council unanimously voted to support a ban on single-use plastic starting in July 2024 with the expanded customer opt-in program effective immediately once the ordinance passes. Town Council needs to vote on the ordinance on second reading before it goes into effect. A much-anticipated development in the heart of Telluride's downtown has received Town Council's blessing to break ground. That's right, it's the Transfer Warehouse. And developer Telluride Arts met with Town Council this week to ask for permission to begin construction even though project funding is still falling into place. As KOTO's Gavin McGough reports, town is willing to grant that permission with certain strings attached. In order to guarantee a construction project's completion, developers in Telluride are often required to secure their funding before town will allow construction to begin. This was the case with the Telluride Transfer Warehouse project and the deadline for developer Telluride Arts to secure that funding was at this week's town council meeting. Presenting to council, executive director of Telluride Arts, Kate Jones, says that her organization has more or less finished the fundraising. Depending on how you look at it all, you, you know, I think that we could easily justify that we are funded enough to start construction and complete this um, the, this project to we have the money in the bank to do that. While it's true, Telluride Arts has raised the bulk of the funding, an active lawsuit targeting the project has tied up substantial bank financing as well as a grant. Until the lawsuit is resolved, Telluride Arts will not actually have those particular funds in hand. Mayor Delaney Young explains that the lawsuit has complicated the funding picture. And I think we all understand and appreciate the fact that this lawsuit has hindered things such as the grant actually being handed over in check form. We know it's been approved and the bank financing being contingent as well. So I would say that while the number of pledged monies is super close for what your costs are, it isn't money in the bank. Although Telluride Arts, as well as the town of Telluride, which is being sued over the project in a related lawsuit, feel confident the courts will side with them, the legal hang-ups add a layer of uncertainty. Councilmember Dan Enright explains his hesitation to approve a project that is not entirely funded. I'll preface this by saying, of course, I, I strongly support this project and want to see it to completion. But 
we have to do due diligence and make sure that when we support projects like this, that it's, it gets built, gets completed. And of course, that's your intention as well. Jones says that the lawsuit, which is based on a sound complaint, could be resolved by simply moving forward with the development project, which includes substantial soundproofing measures. The B lawsuit, it has created a sense of confusion and controversy, controversy around the project. And in fact, when we get the building built, the sound issues will be resolved. And so we would like I believe we'd like council to just approve today so that we can go forth and say we're ready to fall. Telluride Arts and Town Council arrived at a compromise. Town Council has agreed to let Telluride Arts proceed with construction to stabilize the historic walls of the warehouse. This would need to be done regardless of whether a larger project follows. Town has then granted Telluride Arts what is essentially an extension to secure the remainder of its fund and clear up the legal challenges. Here's Enright. This is a suggestion that is a little bit of a middle ground compromise, and I'm sure it's not what Telluride Arts is looking for today, but it would at least allow the those initial construction phases, those renovations that stabilize the walls and our groundwork, like you said, need to happen regardless, while still requiring that that remaining fundraising component be completed before full authorization is given, which is my last remaining hang up. Stabilization work at transfer will begin more or less immediately. Telluride Arts will appear before town council again on or before June 1st, 2023 to show it has the remaining funds. With less than a month to go before the start of the ski season, the Telluride Ski Resort is bustling to get ready, including the construction of Chair 9. we got a lot going on with West 9 right now. Um, we're entering into the period where we're really moving all the big stuff around for the left. That's Scott Pittenger, Director of Mountain Operations at Telski. The resort began flying towers in last week and moving big pieces of equipment up the mountain. It's going to start looking like a lift really soon here. Pittenger says construction isn't running ahead of schedule, but they're where they want to be. Things are, are moving along kind of just as we've expected it, which is not exactly perfect, but, uh, you know, as, as good as we can do. And, uh, yeah, just really proud of the crew and Doppelmeyer for, you know, all the effort that's been put in thus far into this project. According to Pittenger, while the resort plans to have the lift up and running this winter, it never intended to have it running by Thanksgiving. He notes typically there isn't enough snow to open lift nine before December anyway. Generally speaking, we're we're still trying to uh, collect natural snowfall that first month of the year uh, or of the ski season that is to really get lift nine where it needs to be, where it's safe to ski. So. You know, our goal um, has always been to try to get this lift ready for the holidays. Um, and so a load test around December 16th. Once completed, the chair will move more people faster up the mountain. The lift is moving from a fixed triple to a high-speed quad lift. So, you know, the first thing you're going to notice is that this lift just looks a lot different than the old fixed triple. Um, the terminals are much larger as the carriers are detaching from the haul rope and then reattaching themselves. Um, but I think what, you know, our skiing public is going to notice more than anything is that right up to the top of lift nine, 
is going to be twice as fast. We're going to be going up the hill um, in about six and a half, seven minutes, as opposed to 13, 14 minutes of the old list. Telski plans to load test Chair 9 on December 16th. Pittenger says there are a number of items to complete after the load test. Those should take a week or two. Telski's plan is to open the lift by the holidays. Additionally, as Telski prepares for the season, the resort, in collaboration with the U.S. Forest Service, will be conducting live-fire howitzer training on the resort on November 3rd and 4th. The resort is closed to all public access and individuals are asked to take extreme care. Howitzer shrapnel can be deadly and travel great distances. The 2023 open enrollment period for health insurance is coming up. Enrollment begins on November 1st and runs through December 15th to ensure coverage starting on January 1st, 2023. There will also be an enrollment period from December 16th to January 15th for coverage starting on February 1st. To help individuals enroll, Tri-County Health Network is partnering with Connect for Health Colorado, the state's official insurance marketplace. Tri-County is holding a number of enrollment events, appointments, and virtual meetings across the region. In-person meetings will take place in Telluride on Mondays, November 14th to January 15th at the Wilkinson Public Library. There will also be meetings on Saturday, November 5th and Saturday, December 10th. In-person meetings will take place in Norwood on Wednesdays from November 2nd to January 11th at the Lone Cone Library. Meetings in Natarita will be on Friday, November 11th and December 2nd at Weedsea. There will also be virtual appointments Monday through Thursday from November 1st to January 15th. The snow is falling and winter appears to be making its entrance. San Miguel County is reminding drivers that with the recent snowfall, high country roads are likely impassable. The county notes Ofer, Imogene Black Bear, and Last Dollar Passes may appear to be fine at lower elevations, but conditions change quickly, so travel is not recommended. The price of health insurance in Colorado is expected to rise next year. As KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports, that contradicts promises made by the Polis administration. Next year, insurance premiums will increase by more than 10 percent in the small group market, which insures companies with less than 100 employees. Premiums in the individual market will increase by over 7 percent. That's according to rate changes announced by the state this week. The increases coincide with the start of the Colorado Option, a state-designed health plan that was signed into law last year. The Polis administration said it would bring down costs. It's actually more expensive than most other plans. Insurance experts say the increases will be felt most by consumers in rural areas. The open enrollment period for 2023 health insurance plans begins on November 1st. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. One of the statewide measures on Colorado ballots this year is Proposition 123. It calls for the allocation of 0.1% of sales tax revenue to fund the construction of affordable housing units. Proponents say this measure will provide overdue relief while not increasing taxes. But those who oppose it say eliminating housing regulations will do more to solve the problem. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGN News' Rosanna Longo-Better brings us this report. 
clients line up outside the Sister Carmen Food Bank in Lafayette to collect food and request rental assistance. This person, who did not want to give her name, says paying rent in Colorado is hard and becoming a homeowner is almost impossible. At Sister Carmen, we help with financial assistance like water, gas, and electric bills and um, rental assistance. Avio Campo, bilingual advocate, supervisor at Sister Carmen, says the organization has seen a spike in requests for assistance as the cost of living soars. After COVID and the Marshall fires, we've just seen an increase in people asking for help. And, you know, with the inflation being such a scary thing, it's it's hard for people to be able to live and choose, do I pay my rent and not eat, or do I eat and I pay, I don't pay my rent, and then maybe I'll even get evicted eventually. Ocampo worries that the soaring cost of living could end up affecting the most vulnerable, as well as essential workers. You know, 86% of Coloradans are facing a housing crisis, and if we don't pass this law, it's just going to continue to get worse. And we just have to think about People in our community with fixed incomes like seniors, teachers, nurses who are and firefighters who work every day to make sure that our communities are safe, are healthy, are educated, and they can no longer live in the communities where they work. Housing is on the minds of many Colorado voters this election cycle. The Colorado Health Foundation's Pulse poll found that survey respondents were more concerned about the rising cost of living and housing than any other issue. Proposition 123 calls for earmarking up to 0.1% of state income tax revenue to fund grants and loans to local governments to build permanent affordable housing. We can't afford a Colorado where Coloradans can't afford to live, and that's where we're heading if we don't pass Proposition 123. Mike Johnston, CEO and president of the Gary Ventures Philanthropic Organization, says the proposition is a unique opportunity to tackle Colorado's housing crisis. And it does that without raising taxes. Uh, And I think this is really important because it helps make sure that everybody has access to affordable housing, and particularly those folks who are most left behind in the current economic environment. We know this disproportionately affects uh, lower wage workers. We know it disproportionately affects uh, residents of color in Colorado and younger residents, people with kids. Proponents of the measure, like Johnston, estimate if Proposition 123 passes, it will set aside $300 million each year to fund housing crisis solutions. We're very fortunate in the fact that we have 225 organizations that are endorsing it and supporting it. We do not any have any organizations that have opposed it. And so right now we don't have any opponents, and we think that's because... 86% of Coloradans think it's really important to, to build this affordable housing, so we think we're going to have a lot of support. But support for that proposition is not unanimous. Michael Fields is with Advanced Colorado Action, an advocacy organization in favor of a smaller government. And we are opposing uh, Proposition 123. And basically, uh, the reason for that is that 
we don't think that government should be more involved in housing, that it should, we shouldn't have a, a more of a government takeover. Fields disagrees with the argument that Proposition 123 does not raise taxes because it could affect Tabor refunds. I mean, when they're taking our Tabor refunds, that's a tax increase. So, like, they're going to say it's not. But again, it's still, we have less money in our pockets. Uh, if our, you know, we, we're, we get that $750 check, if it's $650 next year, they took more of our money, whether they want to call it a tax increase or not. U.S. Census data shows Colorado has a shortage of about 225,000 homes. Phil says the solution will be to loosen government regulations in order to stimulate supply. We have to make it easier for permitting. We have to get zoning uh, through quicker and localities. We have to build more and quicker. And that will drive down the cost not only for low-income people, but for all Coloradans. Uh, because if you have 225,000 uh, fewer units than you need, the cost is going to be too high. And so I just think that government can get out of the way more than creating a few thousand units when we are 225,000 under isn't going to do much, but it's very costly. Even if it does pass, just how quickly and effectively Proposition 123 could provide relief to people standing in lines outside of Sister Carmen and other food banks is unknown. For KGNU, I am Rosanna Longo Better. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Friday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a high in the mid-40s and a low around 25. Saturday, expect partly sunny skies with a high near 45 degrees. Saturday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 25. This has been the news for Thursday, October 27th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.